2: Or call 562 314 4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: Welcome to Creature Feature, production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host of Mini Parasites, Katie Golden. I studied psychology and evolutionary biology, and today on the show, I'm really your host of Many Parasites because we are talking about some of the gnarliest parasites infesting the animal kingdom. From flies who turn cows into Swiss cheese to the world's largest parasites, this episode is not for lunchtime. Discover this and more as we answer the age-old question, why did Soren request we do an episode on warble flies? Joining me today is Friend of the Pod, writer for American Dad, the Soren part of Quick Question with Soren and Daniel, Soren Bowie. Welcome!
3: Hello, everybody. Oh, it's so good to be back.
1: Yeah. Last time we talked about beaver testes, and this time we're talking about horrible parasites.
3: Yeah, some really gross ones. Um, I got really excited about warble flies because. I briefly remember a biology teacher being like, oh, yeah, and there are these flies that live up in Alaska that will chase caribou off of cliffs. And I was like, OK. <laughs> and then forgot to ever check up on that. So I was like, oh, I'm going to go find this thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, they are kind of the biggest nightmare for our ungulate. I was unaware that they actually chase caribou off of cliffs. Is that true?
3: So caribou are aware of them. Right. Caribou do not like them. Um, yes. And... And so I don't know. I mean, this is what my, I had a teacher's, so all of my information came from in high school. Um, so I, I take it with a grain of salt. But yeah, there was a teacher who said that the caribou are so upset and don't like them that they will run away from them. And as they're trying to get away from them, the warble flies will give chase and occasionally caribou will careen off of cliffs trying to get away from them.
1: Well, teachers say a lot of things. I had a teacher who said that the poles were going to reverse in our lifetimes and we'd all die. Um, Yeah. So uh, but yeah, warble flies are pretty scary and I wouldn't blame a caribou for jumping off a cliff. Uh, And with that, I will say a content warning for this whole episode. It's about parasites and they're super gross. So like if you're eating a big like wet plate of spaghetti, I wouldn't. You know,
3: <laughs> save
1: the spaghetti with like meat sauce and pesto for later.
3: I'm glad that you gave that content warning because now I feel very comfortable in uh, diving into some other viscera and telling you that I got COVID. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry about that. How are you feeling? Terrible. Um, yeah, the last few, so I, got, I started having symptoms on, uh, well, it's not going to matter to anybody online, like four days ago. And yeah. it's just been, I've just been wiped out. Oh, it's been rough, yeah.
1: I'm real sorry about that. All right, you you feeling okay enough to podcast?
3: Yeah, actually today I feel like I I turned a corner. So
1: okay, all right. Well, I don't, but I don't want to be responsible for your downfall. So if you're not feeling good, we can stop the podcast.
3: Well, we have video in between us, so if you see me turning blue, right, then we'll just we'll wrap it up. Like we'll come yeah. up with a good ending. And yeah, then- yeah.
1: I'll yeah, I'll be hospital. like, "Wow, are you auditioning for the Blue Man Group?" Anyways, <laughs> I'm calling the doctor.
3: <laughs>
1: but I'm sorry you're you're feeling bad. Um, hopefully, discussing uh, endoparasites will
3: cheer you up a little bit. Honestly, this is the this is the thing I want to talk about most. So this is great.
1: <laughs> so yeah, uh, warble flies. Apparently, uh, Soren is their number one fan. They're a genus of large flies found all over in the Northern Hemisphere, and the adults look pretty harmless. They look like cute little bumblebees. They're fuzzy with black and yellow stripes, kind of innocuous looking. Meanwhile, the larvae look uh, like, well, just larvae, but they are hell demons that do unspeakable things that we're going to talk about right now. So... They love to eat the flesh of ungulates so they can infect cows, horses, sheep, goats, deer, dogs, cats, squirrels, rabbits, and sometimes even humans. Uh, So these cute, innocent-looking, fluffy, bee-like flies will lay eggs on its victim. And that's just where the trouble starts. So... Their whole adult life just basically revolves around having sex and laying eggs and then dying. They don't even have a working mouth, so they can't eat, and then they die after five days.
3: Up top, warble flies. What a life.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's just, it's really about the hustle.
3: That's great. Good for them. Eating is overrated.
1: Yeah. I, you know, there was a time in my life where I was like, wish that food just came in pill form, you know, yeah. and you didn't have to worry about it. But these days I'm just glad I'm not a warble fly cuz it's not I don't know, man. Like it's kind of strange to like go through all this effort to become an adult and then it's like after 5 days pooping out some eggs, you're like, "Well, I'm done."
3: <laughs> I guess it would be kind of tough to like th- imagine the pressure on you to have sex. Mm hmm. You've know, you got to get it done. Like, it's important. And you've right. only got a small window. There should be an American pie about warble flies. Like yeah. Some sort of teen comedy where it's like, no, no, this is also life or death for you.
1: Yeah. It's not you don't really have time to set the mood or mess around with pastries. You do kind of have to, like, get it done efficiently and quickly. I do think American Pie would have been better if it ended with everyone falling down dead after laying their eggs.
3: (laughs) Yeah, after finding some megafauna to stick their eggs inside.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What's what's the main character's name? Uh, I don't even remember. I'm going to say
3: James. James. (laughs) James. <laughs> that right. that,
1: that's a yeah. good solid American name. Yeah, I remember when he laid his eggs in that pie. That was hilarious. And
2: then <laughs>
1: Levy, what's his name? Something Levy. He raised his big yeah. thick eyebrows. He's like, son, you can't lay eggs in that pie. Your mom baked that pie.
3: Yeah. Oh, that's right. I completely forgot that Eugene Levy was in that movie. Yeah. And anyway. then Stiffler's like, oh, no, no. Oh, Here's where you gotta do it, man. Here's, that's his oh, yeah. name. Not Stifler, James. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, so the eggs that these warble flies lay are usually deposited on the forelegs of cows or whatever animal that they're infesting. But, you know, if given the opportunity, they'll lay them anywhere, anywhere on a living body. So they hatch in a few days and then the larva burrow down into the skin and travel deep into the connective tissues. And that's where the fun begins. By fun, I mean endoparasitism, which, you know, I think universally beloved kind of thing. So they will secretly grow inside of their host for months before returning back to the surface of the skin. And this form this this forms this raised large bump or warble, which I've never heard of a bump being called a warble. (laughs) And so it's like, it's kind of like, oh yeah, this is why they're called warble flies because the bump they make is called a warble. And it's like, you just made that up.
3: Yeah, it sounds like a toy. (laughs) Have you tried the warble?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like, or like the, it's like a carnival ride or something. The great warble (laughs) experience. It would be kind of fun, I guess, to be in a little like a coaster where you're in like the warble fly and you go through tunnels through a giant cow Eh. Anyways, uh, they metamorphosize into adults and then burrow out of the skin, leaving a big gaping hole in its wake, which, you know, that's fun. And when you see like a bump, like a warble, you might think like, oh, well, I better smash that before it hatches. Well, no, don't do that, because if you do that and prevent them from hatching, this will likely lead to infection and in some cases anaphylaxis, and that's bad.
3: Jesus Christ! Ah, so it's so gross. But uh, if you so you get one of these things, you have to keep it alive. Basically, you're its mother at that point and let (laughs) it hatch. Or and then like your choices are either bad, uh, bad infection by letting it die, or a big scar that you'll never recover from.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a
3: lot like pregnancy.
1: (laughs) It's true. Or I think you do go to the doctor and they might be able to remove it or do something for you. But okay. if, you're, if you're a cow, uh, like if you're a squirrel or a cow and you don't have a doctor, I don't think squirrels have doctors, then yeah, you there's, no, there's nothing you can do about it. You just got to wait for it to
3: come out of you. Have you talked about botflies on here before?
1: I think I have a long time ago and my guest was really sad about it.
3: <laughs> They're I mean they sound like a cousin or like a sister of botflies. These flies.
1: are I mean, these are actually a type of bot fly. So it's oh, they are. it's, it's okay. the same um, you know, sort of I think genus of uh, of animals, yeah.
3: Obviously called a bot fly because uh, the bot fly lays an egg under the skin and it creates a little uh, oval shape that's called of course called a bot. We all call it a bot.
1: <laughs> Soren just made that up, but yeah, it's the same the same sort of logic of the warble fly. <laughs>
3: Um, but I've heard that uh, with a botfly, you can so there's a little hole in the surface of the skin. it ha- mm-hmm. it leaves a little vent, basically, so that it can the larva can breathe. And I don't know if this is true of the warble, but like if you tried to drown it, like if you tried to get into the water, it just starts wriggling. Oh. <laughs> so it becomes really, really painful. Uh, and so you have you have no choice but to like surface because you're like, no, I can't. Oh, this is God. too much. Or if you get one in an area that doesn't have a lot of meat, like on your foot, on your head, or something like that, I've heard that you can leave a steak next to it hmm. for like a day, and it will—it senses that there's a more fleshy area that it can move to, <laughs> and it will wriggle out and into the steak.
1: Oh God, that sounds disgusting. I'm not sure if it's true. Okay. Uh, I'm you googling know what I'm it. realizing
3: now is the same biology teacher. I had a really great biology teacher, maybe this... a full-on liar, but uh, <laughs> I really enjoyed all of that.
1: I am googling it so that you don't have to, because I can promise you, you don't want to Google this. <laughs> this is interesting. In Nursing 2022, the peer-reviewed Journal of Clinical Excellence. Wow, Clinical Excellence. <laughs> they do say that a suffocation method treating the parasitic human botfly is placing any type of meat on top of the lesion for 48 hours in hopes that the larva will protrude into the meat and away from the human. So yeah, yeah, your teacher maybe is correct there. I would, Uh again, if you've got a botfly, go to a doctor. They probably have (laughs) medical meat, you know, like (laughs) like some kind of fancy medical grade meat to slap on you. You know how they're like just
3: meat. But in the medical field, they're gonna charge you three thousand dollars for that steak. (laughs) I know how it goes. I
1: mean, there are medical maggots, so why wouldn't there be medical meat? Doctors, write to me at creaturefeaturepod at gmail.com. Let me know, is there medical meat? Question mark. (laughs) These type though, the warble flies, Uh they target cows. And because this typically happens in cattle, it's a big test for meat farmers. I mean, actually, so there are different types of warble flies that specialize for different ungulates, like you mentioned, caribou ones. There are also warble flies that attack cows. And the ones that attack cows are a huge menace. And they will burrow through the cow's flesh and leave these tunnels, which is horrible. Um, and the cow's immune system has to respond. Like When you're injured, your your body puts forth a response to try to like, you know, fill in the hole. So the immune system fills the hole with white blood cells and other immune cells, which ends up looking kind of like a green goo. And this is called butcher's jelly. And it's, yeah, I know, right? Like, it's the worst name you could name anything. Butcher's jelly. (laughs) And then it is actually a horrible thing as well. It's this puke-worthy name given what it is. It renders meat unusable for consumption. So luckily they don't like try to feed us butchers jelly, but it yeah. is, yeah, it's bad and gross. Newsflash, the meat industry has a lot of disgusting things in it.
3: Oh, God. Butchers jelly this is the best band name I could think of.
1: It is pretty good. I mean, I feel like this podcast could also be called just like band name generation podcast because I've got things like proboscis and, uh, yeah. you know, yeah, just some like, or I was gonna say orthodontics, but I realized that's just a word that does is not really related <laughs> to my podcast, but it popped into my head, so. <laughs> So you'd think that then a cow that is infected with warble flies would get it off the meat hook and a reprieve from slaughter, but that's not really how the meat industry works. Uh, typically, these holes are only discovered after slaughter, and they will try to use what they can of the cow carcass and just kind of, you know, I guess cut around the butcher's jelly.
3: I mean, it's mostly mm. on their legs, and we're not really eating the legs, so.
1: Uh, but they can get elsewhere. Okay. Oh, Yeah, they can like burrow from the legs. These tiny larvae, and I think even get like into the neck tissue. It's disgusting.
3: Does it? Can it get all the way? They can get deep enough that it would suffocate them. The the larvae. Yeah. I don't.
1: I don't think so. I think for some reason the. I think because these larvae, when they are young. Um, they are able to do gas exchange without like an open air vent, and then when they become, when they start to metamorphosize into adults, they return to the surface. Uh, so they probably migrate back to the surface of
3: the flesh before they basically need that breathing hole. Oh no, I mean like, if can it get close enough? If it's in the throat tissue of oh, like a, a cow, oh, you're asking if the
1: cow can breathe? See, can I get... care about the parasite and worry <laughs> about them, and you're more worried about the dumb cow.
3: That's the way it should be. Everybody should be worried about one animal and think that's their animal.
1: (laughs) I pick the most disgusting parasite to worry about because who else is going to do it? Right. I don't know of any cows personally who have been suffocated by (laughs) uh, warble flies, but if you're a cow and you or your friend has been suffocated by warble flies, you may be entitled to a settlement. So write to me. Uh, And we are doing a class action lawsuit against the warble flies. So speaking of class action lawsuits, can warble flies infect humans? That's what everyone is thinking right now, I would assume. And I've got kind of bad news. Technically, yes, they can and sometimes do. So they don't target humans specifically. Uh, There is like the human bot fly that you have to worry about more. In cases of the warble fly, uh, you know, infesting a human are quite rare. But when they do happen, they're horrible. <laughs> so, <laughs> you were talking about reindeer uh, warble flies or caribou warble flies, and they will sometimes infect people in Norway, and children are the most likely to be infected And why are children the most likely to be infected? I don't know. My theory is that children are gross and they'll roll around in stuff they should not be rolling around in. Yeah, fair. (laughs) It could be that because like the eggs take a few days to hatch. And so if like a kid doesn't want to take a bath for a couple of days, then like, you know, it gives them time to hatch. Um, You know, so usually what happens is this just causes some swelling and infection Uh, In extreme cases, if left untreated, it can cause blindness if the larva attacks the eye tissue. So it's, you know, but these are exceedingly rare cases. Uh, So typically you don't have to worry about it. But if you want to worry about things, let me give you the most rare cases ever that are just the grossest, most, I, I just, okay, so in really rare cases of humans being attacked by warble flies they can suffer cerebral myiasis. So what does this mean? Well, myiasis is when a larva lives and feeds inside your tissue. And cerebral means inside the brain. So we put these words together and what do we get? Brain worms. Hooray. It's real. Oh my God. (laughs)
3: You can get them in your brain?
1: You can. Statistically speaking, you will not. like. Uh it's extremely, extremely rare, but it does happen.
3: Awesome. So cool. So I'm so glad I brought this here. Cause I <laughs> this is like a thing I've been curious about for a long time and I was like, I could look it up. That sounds gross. I think I'd rather just have somebody give me the hits. Maybe yeah. Katie'll do it. <laughs> That's
1: right. That's right. I Google the most disgusting images so you don't have to. <laughs> So, if you're wondering whether it's bad to have larvae in your brain, it is. Um, it can cause seizures and hemorrhagic stroke, which are both bad things for you. And if this sounds potentially deadly, it is. Uh, so, uh, you can die from having larvae in your brain. Uh, there what? are how? <laughs> from you know the stroke, the bleeding is bad. It's bad. Your brain is...
3: You're overreacting.
1: Mm. Uh, Am I or am I just reacting? So uh, there are only about 16 total cases of this ever recorded. So, you know, it's not going to happen to you. All you health anxiety sufferers out there, it will not happen to you. It is not going to happen to you.
4: It's going to (laughs) happen.
1: Uh, uh, and if it does, it can be treated s- with surgery. So, you know, don't worry about it. It's There's not a no big deal. There's better.
3: It's going to happen. <laughs> you're doomed. <laughs> There's no getting better. I'm so sorry. Mm. So you're number 17. There's already been 16. This There's is already been
1: 16. Yeah. If you are number 17 of people who have had larvae in your brain, write to me. You may be entitled <laughs> to a settlement from a class action lawsuit.
3: I didn't realize how much heavy lifting this podcast was doing within the world. There's so many people that you're now reaching out to to have a right to you.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that it's probably just very targeted. Like the demographic targeting is really good. So of the people in the world who have gotten brain parasites, they are probably listening to this podcast. And I don't know (laughs) if that's an insult to me or to you, the audience, but I'm not gonna take it as one. So neither should you. So we're gonna take a quick brain.
3: (laughs) Oh yeah. I'm
1: the one, I'm the one with the parasites in me. I mean, this has been no secret. I open up the podcast fully admitting it. So none of you should be shocked. I was going to say we're going to take a quick break um, while I... On the other
3: side of the warble, we'll be talking about...
0: (laughs) Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. Hey,
2: this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away.
4: Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value.
1: All right, so we're back. Um, how you feeling, Soren? Feeling good?
3: Actually, yeah. <laughs> this has been really fun.
1: Eating a big plate of, like, uh, gnocchi with, like, bright green pesto. Gnocchi is
3: perfect. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. What That is very on theme.
1: Yeah, you know, I do love gnocchi, but the ones that's got the little like segments to it, sometimes yeah. just mentally I can't do it
3: cuz it looks like a larva. It looks exactly It does
1: look a little bit like the larva. Now, some gnocchi don't have those little segments and I like those better because I can justify it more. But the ones that have the little segments, I'm like, why are you making my gnocchi look more like a larva? <laughs> I, I like, like the it. segments.
3: I like they have a little traction when it goes in my mouth. <laughs> I don't want it just sliding down my throat by accident.
1: Uh, <laughs> okay, well, you know, that I, I did not consider the, the throat physics of the, the ribbed gnocchi, but now I am. Thank you for that. Yep. So we are actually gonna move on from warble flies, but don't worry, we're still talking about just gnarly parasites. Uh Soren, where do you think you would find the world's largest internal parasite?
3: Okay. I've seen videos of people taking a stick and wrapping a flatworm around mm-hmm. the stick out of their skin, and it just keeps going and going and going. Yeah. And so I would assume that it's a platyhelminthes. I assume it's like some flatworm, and an intestinal flatworm, and I'm going to say it's the Amazon.
4: That's an
1: interesting guess. I mean, think about it in terms of animals, though. Where do you think you'd find the world's oh. largest intestinal yeah, yeah, parasite?
3: Yeah. Oh, megafauna. Africa. <laughs> uh, the Serengeti.
1: You're not even thinking big enough, man. There's Re- even... Oh, it's
3: the ocean. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> it's
1: it's the always ocean. the ocean. It's
3: the, the always ocean. ocean.
1: It's in whales. It's like it's the world's largest parasites are in the world's largest animals. And it, it I mean, it's just cartoon. it's it, To me, it's like really funny logic where it's just like, okay, you have a huge animal, so the parasites are gigantic because (laughs) they can be. So sperm whales are uh, the largest toothed whale. They're not the largest whale. Uh, They are beaten in size by uh, other whales, such as the blue whale, which is a baleen whale, not a toothed whale. Uh, sperm whales can grow up to be over 50 feet or 60 meters in length, although extra big ones can be nearly 70 feet long or over 20 meters. So, you know, they're, they're big boys. Yeah. Large uh, adult sperm whales have no natural predators, and some animals, however, have still learned how to feed off of the body of a sperm whale without them even noticing. Parasites. So roundworms are parasitic nematodes that infect a variety of animals, humans included. But the species that parasitizes sperm whales can grow to be ridiculously huge. They're just under an inch thick, so 2.5 centimeters. Uh, (laughs) uh, But they can grow to be almost 30 feet long, or 8.5 meters. Jesus Christ. How many people is that? That's like
3: thirty. All right. Uh, so that's five of me.
1: That's five Sorens of parasite.
3: Five, yeah, stacked tip to toe.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's five you, of me. So if you were trying to play, like, you know, what is it? Pool chicken with a a parasite from a toothed whale. You'd have to have five Sorens stacked on top of their shoulders, sort of trying to. What even is the goal of pool chicken? I've never gotten it.
3: Uh, okay. I'm pretty sure that you're supposed to knock the other person off of the back of the yeah. You know, so you know you're on some two people on each other's backs, and then you're supposed to knock the other person off. Hmm. It's like um yeah, but you're doing using just your hands.
1: That sucks. Uh, I think that instead <laughs> the goal should be who can get inside the sperm whale the fastest. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So for comparison, the largest roundworms that can infect humans. Grow to be about 0.1 inches or four millimeters thick and 11 inches or 30 centimeters long. So you know it's not a big deal.
3: A big foot. That's all.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's
3: oh, fine. I mean, compared so to what
1: is inside the sperm whale, does it really seem that bad now?
3: <laughs> no, but also because when you're a sperm whale, like you don't, you can't go to a doctor when you've got something like that inside you. You're just like, well, yeah, because you can't fit in the door. Life. Yeah. I mean, this thing and those things must weigh at least ten pounds, right? More, maybe yeah, more,
1: give or take a few pounds. You'd yeah. feel that.
3: Oh <laughs> God, that's so gross. <laughs>
1: um. So, uh, yeah, its name is Placentonema gigantisma. And by that name, can you guess what part of the whale it likes to parasitize the most? Say it again. Placentonema gigantesma.
3: Yeah, Yeah. Uh, is, it, is it specifically in the sex organs? Yes.
1: Yeah, so it likes to be in the uterus and placenta. What a little freak. Yeah. It can also target the reproductive tract and mammary glands. So this is a very misogynistic parasite that uh, typically targets female sperm whales. Don't worry, though. We will get to a Miss Andrus parasite later in the show, just for <laughs> equity's sake. But this is just the largest roundworm. I didn't say it's the largest parasite in the world, did I? No. So the largest parasite in the world is the tapeworm, Tetragonoporus... (sighs) God damn it. (laughs) Hang on a second. I gotta catch my breath. Okay, Tetragonoporus calyptocephalus found in sperm whales, again, poor sperm whales. Jesus. And this thing can grow to be over 90 feet or over 27 meters long, although they can grow to be almost 130 feet or 40 meters long. How many sorens is that?
3: Uh, wait,
1: how, how many feet? Uh, the biggest ones can be 130 feet.
3: Uh-huh. Um, I don't know. I That's I, past 10 in my multiplication table. <laughs> I can't do that.
1: It's a, it's a very, very long stack of sorens. So, it is found in the gut of the sperm whale, usually in the intestines. And if you thought this couldn't get grosser, um, you're wrong. So, (laughs) tapeworms are segmented, just like gnocchi. I'm so sorry for making that connection for everyone. I'm like, one of the worst things that I would do when I was a kid is I would make connections between food and gross stuff. Um, and then not be able to eat that food. And now I'm just spreading my misery to others. Anyways, uh, yes, so tapeworms are segmented and each segment has several sets of reproductive organs up to 14, yay, which can produce eggs, making them disgustingly prolific reproducers. <laughs> so yeah, if you ever was were curious, like how does tapeworm sex happen inside a sperm whale? Here it is. Here it goes. So uh, the segments on a single individual tapeworm can reproduce with each other, which is like even further than like what House of Dragons, Game of Thrones goes, you know, with all the weird relationships. Like we're talking like a tapeworm and it's got these segments and each segment has like 14 reproductive organs and then they're all reproducing with each other. Um. They also so they shed their end segments, which will end up in the whale's poop, which can okay. then be pooped out and ingested by another whale. Which is whales? Come on, stop being oh, yeah. so nasty.
3: Well, that's an easy solution right there. Just sperm stop whales. Being stop
1: nasty. Eating each other's. It's a little bit hard though when like you live in the water and then you poop and then it's just like there. And the other whales try to eat like a floating plate of spaghetti and then some poop drifts by and you just kind of <laughs> accidentally, you're like, whoops. Anyways. Is a so floating, floating plate of
3: spaghetti? Did you just use that as the equivalent of like a a giant squid <laughs> that they've died yeah. down to eat? And it would be I a mean, floating... that's
1: essentially, essentially, yeah. That's uh, what el- what else is a giant squid but a floating plate of spaghetti. So... <laughs> This can result in there being more than one tapeworm, like individual tapeworm being inside the same whale. And if that happens, hey, they spice things up and mate with the other tapeworm rather than mating with its own segments. So fun. I mean, it helps diversify the gene pool. That's pretty cool.
3: So They should fight (laughs) to the death instead. That would be so much Mm. better, nature.
1: Yeah, no, it's actually just free love inside the whale. And further bad news is that the Tetragonoporus calyptocephalus has over 45,000 segments, all producing eggs. Again, remember, each segment can have like 14 gonads. And this means that it probably produces nearly a million eggs a day and billions in its lifetime. Which is, you know... A good amount, I would say.
3: <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> wow, that's so gross. Um, yeah, I do want the record to show on the show that when you asked me what the largest one was, I did say some platyhelminthes. Yeah, which is flatworm, right? Isn't that what uh what we're dealing with? Isn't that tapeworm?
1: I believe that's the name. Look, listen, I don't memorize well, all let's of look it the Latin up cause names because I'm to... not a nerd.
3: <laughs> While I was learning platyhelminthes, you were off at the parties.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was chugging tapeworms for fun.
3: Let me, let me see. Yeah, tapeworm, also called not... phylum platyhelminthes.
1: Wow, out nerding me on my own podcast.
4: Oh, feels so good. Feels so good <laughs> to be
1: right.
3: Oh. Although being, I did say being
1: it was smugly right, it. right is actually one of the treatments for COVID.
3: My had not to get too far from the show, but um when my son plays Candyland or he plays Uno with his mom, uh he gets real excited if he wins and he'll come like over to me and be like, I won and I'm like, Well don't tell me, go rub it in her face. Go back to her and show her that you won. And he's like, Okay. And my wife obviously Does not like that. But uh, it's so funny to watch a young child (laughs) get in her face and go, I won. I won.
1: (laughs) I mean, those are just essential life skills, I think. Uh, The whole rubbing (laughs) stuff in other people's faces that they need to learn at a young age so that when they're older, they can have a podcast.
3: (laughs) They can actually go on other people's podcasts and do it to them.
1: Right, right. (laughs) Right. So uh, you may be wondering, why does the this horrifying, huge tapeworm have to produce so many gosh-darn eggs, right? Um, well, the reason they're so nasty and make billions of eggs is that they need to play the game of large numbers living in a vast ocean with relatively few sperm whales. Because the ocean is so big... And you don't have like a huge density of sperm whales. You have to do like a DDoS attack and spoof the ocean with millions and millions of eggs to make sure that some of your eggs get ingested by another whale. So basically, like the more eggs you pump out, the more likely it's going to get ingested by some unlucky whales. So you just do as many goddamn eggs as you can possibly push out.
3: I get it. The ocean is big.
1: Yeah. And yeah, it's just—it's a life. It's the hustle. It's the grind. It's the—you know—having sex with your own segments so you can produce more eggs.
3: <laughs>
1: it's Having—it's called multitasking. Having 14 gonads at once. So, um, so on that note, I think we're gonna take a quick break, and then hey, we're gonna come back to another parasite. Don't you worry. If you thought we ran out of parasites,
0: we didn't. We never will. There are just so many.
4: Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value.
1: All right. So we talked about the very sexist whale roundworm that targets the uterus of female sperm whales. So now let's Ooh. talk about some misandrist Wolbachia bacteria. Yay! <laughs> This is the reverse sexism that everyone's been talking about finally revealed. So, fellas, if you ever wanted to know what it's like to be oppressed just because you're a man,
3: you should become a butterfly. Oh, no. They're, I mean, I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but there are parasites for butterflies. Yeah. they— Their lives are like a week.
1: <laughs> the world is a cruel and dark place. Um, but it's, it's fun. It's funny, though.
3: Oh, okay, cool. Let's get into this. a
1: sense of humor. <laughs> so, Wolbachia is a genus of bacteria that are parasitic microbes that infect all sorts of arthropods. In fact, it's estimated that 40% of arthropod species can be infected by Wolbachia. So, arthropods are anything from crabs to spiders to insects to butterflies. But uh, we are specifically going to focus on butterflies. Wolbachia well, strains that infect many species of butterfly try to kill off male butterflies so that there's a higher proportion of females, and they also make female butterflies have sex more often,
3: which, you know. Mm, that doesn't sound right. Butter- butterflies are girls. Moths are boys.
1: Mm. Is that Okay, <sighs> Cats. I thought cats were girls and dogs were boys. Yeah.
3: That's true. Yeah. Cats are boys. Cats are girls. <laughs> dogs are boys. Dolphins are girls. Sharks are boys.
1: Hmm. Mm. You know, I and feel that, that's like, everything. I I feel like um, there's something wrong with that, but I can't put my finger on it. Also, typically, a uh, butterfly species, the females tend to be a bit more drab than the males. Uh, the males are often a little more brightly colored. So. Really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, not always. Sometimes there's not so much sexual dimorphism, but sometimes there is. Where like it's not that the females aren't colorful, uh, but sometimes they're li- just a little bit less flashy than the males.
3: Does that so, mean that butterflies? It's important. This is obviously off tangent, but
1: hmm? what?
3: for butterflies, does it, is it like birds? Like it matters yeah. how bright the male is?
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Yes. It can uh, that flashiness can attract uh, a mate for sure. I mean, they are investing a lot in that. Uh, sometimes, like the coloration is both for attracting a mate. Sometimes it's, um, uh, it is a warning coloration to prevent oh, predators right. from eating them. Sometimes it's mimicry of warning coloration and they are edible, but then they're pretending not to be. So there are many different uh, uses for the beautiful patterns found on butterflies. But yes, it can be for, uh, for mate selection. Okay. Um. And yeah, I mean, it's it's similar in the way that, like, you know, uh, bright flowers can be very attractive to, like, bees and other pollinators. So having bright, flashy colors, it's going to bring attention to yourself as a butterfly. And getting attention uh, is one of the most important things you can do when you are looking to reproduce. That's, like, the number one thing. You have to be noticed if you're ever going to have a chance. And that whole thing about, like, trying to get noticed can uh, take some very ridiculous forms, um, that we've talked about on the podcast before, like just the ridiculous ways that birds act, like bower birds create a whole like museum of weird items for females <laughs> to look at just to be showy. Um, a
3: menagerie. Unfortunately, of shit. we
1: are not talking about cute birds right now. We're talking about a uh, super sexist bacteria that wants to do away with as many male butterflies as possible. Now, I say wants to, this is obviously bacteria. It's not got too many thoughts going on. Some might say no thoughts going on. Uh, So what is it? It's uh, this teeny tiny microbe, and it lives inside the reproductive cells of butterflies. Wolbachia prefers female hosts because it can be transferred from the female reproductive cells to the eggs to the next generation of butterflies. So this is how it propagates. So it, re- it needs the female butterflies, but it doesn't really need male butterflies. So they will actually kill off the embryos of male butterflies within the egg by messing with their development. And this skews the butterfly population to have way more females. And this benefits the Wolbachia bacteria because then they have way more hosts who can pass on infected eggs. So Butterflies
3: are girls. <laughs>
1: That's No, they're not all girls. Um, That's what we're getting to. No, not quite yet. Oh, okay. Uh, there, There's some interesting twists and turns with that, though. So uh, this is not, like I said, bacteria don't really have minds or brains. They actually, I mean, literally, they don't have brains. So this is not intentional infanticide. Uh, the bacteria has no idea what it's doing. And also evolution doesn't sort of operate on this overseer kind of way. So it's not like, oh, well, we want to kill off the males so that there are more females. So however this happens, it has to be kind of by either by quote unquote accident or sort of a random mutation or random happenstance that ends up benefiting the bacteria. So uh, what's likely happening is a lucky accident for the Wolbachia. The male embryonic development is incompatible with the presence of the bacteria, whereas the female embryonic development is not. And this happens to increase the proportion of females uh, for the bacteria to use as a host. And since Wolbachia doesn't have like a 100% success rate in terms of infecting butterflies, there are males still to keep the population going. And so it can be a stable system. Unless, of course, it's too successful and it kills off too many males and then species of butterfly cannot exist or it reaches a genetic bottleneck. The Wolbachia infection also actually causes female butterflies to mate with more males than they would typically.
3: <laughs>
1: so, so, okay, this is... Uh, uh. These poor males, um, who are just a fraction of the female population, are a super hot commodity. I mean, like... Yeah you have all the females wanting to mate with them, which is exhausting for a poor little butterfly and causes their sperm packets to become smaller and of poorer quality. So they're literally, these male butterflies are literally exhausted from all the sex they're having to have with these demanding females. And not just that. I
3: mean, you've seen butterflies out in the wild, a gentle breeze. And that butterfly is like, like all over the place. <laughs> It can barely move ten feet from one plant to another without being blown all over the place. It looks like they're they're walking in a torrential river, like at all times. Mm-hmm. They're being they have no choice in where they go. So it's got to be exhausting in general to be a butterfly. And then to have to then have sex all the
1: time, yeah, it's it sounds like a nightmare. it It's, you know, they're very delicate creatures, and to have to do a sex marathon just sounds like torment. <laughs> so they they are they continually do this because they're like, okay, yeah, yeah, let's do it again.
3: <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> I'm
1: ready. No, 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 really, really. Um, so it is exhausting for these butterflies. It causes their sperm to degrade. So females can actually detect this, and uh, they, it makes them want to mate with more males because they're like. Uh, that last guy I mated with, like his sperm packet was kind of shoddy, so I better try another male. Then they go with another exhausted male, and, he- and they're like, "Oh, well, this guy's sperm packet is also pretty shoddy. Well, I gotta try another one." So they keep trying all these males. The males are exhausted. It's this tornado of sex and ulbacia, and just
3: like- <laughs> <laughs> I like that they can tell that the females like. They get it. They get it. They get a little packet and then they're like, yeah, huh. QC testing. Yeah. Feels a little light.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure that researchers know exactly how the females do it, um, but it is it is funny. Like I imagine just like it going through a conveyor belt and a little light going like ding, 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 bad sperm. So you would think oh, these poor butterflies, you know, victims of this malicious bacteria. And they're these (laughs) fragile creatures. They have no way to fight back or do they, they, they do. So <laughs> evolutionarily they can fight back and we actually can see this in real time, which is so cool because a lot of these evolutionary arms race between like a predator and prey or a parasite and its host are hard to actually observe because they happen over you know millions of years. But in the case of the blue moon butterflies, we've actually seen them evolve in real time in response to the Wolbachia. So blue moon male butterflies found on the Samoan Island of Savai were in trouble. They were only 1% of the population, absolutely outnumbered by females but they managed to develop an adaptation within 10 generations of butterflies which is just a year in 2006 and this genetic mutation allowed the male embryos to survive the infection from Wolbachia so within a year uh-huh. this brought the male population up to 40% of all the butterflies in the island so that it's incredible that you can see this happen on such a fast scale.
3: Wow. And so quickly, I I just looked at these things. These things are really cool looking. They're like a black butterfly that have just four little dots on them. Really bright little dots.
1: Yeah, they're they're very pretty. They're really beautiful. The males seemed like they were defeated by this bacteria. And then like 10 generations, like one year of time. And then you see this sudden comeback because there is a mutation that allows these embryonic stage butterflies to survive the bacteria. It's incredible. So <laughs> uh, I do have to mention some other species of Wolbachia that infect different species of arthropods because they're, they're, they're wacky and fun. So Wolbachia will change the sex ratios or even how sex works for some species of animals. So Wolbachia can turn males into functional females by inhibiting androgen production. So this is the case for arthropods like crabs or pill bugs. In fact, some populations of the common pill bug are all genetically male, but enough are infected with Wolbachia that alters them to be functionally female that the population is stable. Like, they're all, genetically speaking, they are all yeah, male. Yeah, I've always said
3: that. Pill bugs are boys. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but the bugs Pill bugs are boys.
3: Silverfish are girls.
1: Oh, God. I, we don't claim them. Silverfish, <laughs> ugh. They're the worst bug. I hate those. They leave their little dusties <laughs> on the wall. God, I, I, I love yeah. almost every single bug except for silverfish and um, house cockroaches. Because they Oh, they're yeah, just, also a girl. hey come on now Uh, because they're greasy man they're like they're they're great anyways uh, that's a tangent I won't hate on cockroaches on this show Um, but yeah I mean that's like they the bacteria have success like completely changed these populations of pill bugs where they are all born male and some of them Turn into females because of the infection from the Wolbachia, and they're able to survive because they're they become yeah. functionally female, and that population is stable.
3: So it needs it. That's crazy. It needs the.
1: Yeah, it becomes yeah. dependent on the Wolbachia to continue that population.
3: So at that point, it stops being a parasite and becomes a like a it becomes like a symbiotic relationship.
1: I mean, that's a really interesting question because it's like. Is it at this point, it's a parasite when it is causing harm to the host yeah, and not offering any benefit. It's symbiotic when both of the animals in the relationship are benefiting. And so it's like, does it count as being like symbiotic when it solved the problem it, that it caused in it, the it first created. place?
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't really know. It's a good question. I, I, yeah, that that seems like a kind of, I mean, I, I guess like at this stage, yeah, they are somewhat symbiotic because they are dependent on each other. That is so interesting. Yeah, I didn't really think about it that way, but that's messed up.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Look what I'm doing for you. Look, I'm helping your I mean, whole there, species.
1: There are like some theories that Things like mitochondria and, and certain aspects of our biology, it started out as maybe not parasitic, but a, a symbiotic relationship that just become, became sort of like completely linked forever. So you now cannot live without it and it cannot live without you, which, you know, I guess that's the ultimate friendship.
3: <laughs> Usefulness. How useful <laughs> are you to your friends?
1: Being codependent, yes, a healthy relationship. <laughs> so, uh, I guess we've we've finally done it. We've talked about some of the nastiest parasites in the animal kingdom. Uh, you can pick up that big sloppy plate of gnocchi and spaghetti, and you know, I don't know, uh, <laughs> like noodles. What other
3: foods are like... I love that you've got, in your mind, everyone in your your audience is eating multiple types of pasta at once.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I live in Italy. It's a lifestyle. Oh, true.
3: Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm actually having pasta tonight, but it's fun little square-shaped pasta, so I don't have to imagine that it's a parasite. Uh, (laughs) Unless there's a square-shaped parasite out there. Ooh, I got to find out if there is. But before we go, we've got to play a little game I like to call, guess who's squawking the mystery animal sound game? Uh, Yes. I fail
3: at this every single time. I still live Eh. with the fact that I missed the uh, cassowary because cassowary is Uh, such a great animal and so important to me. It is a good (laughs) animal
1: with little stabby feet. (laughs) Well, maybe you can redeem yourself this time. I mean, it's gonna be hard, though. It's a hard one. Okay,
3: yeah, throw it at me.
1: So, here is the hint. They sound like drunks on land and alien spaceships in the sea, but they're always chill. (laughs) Okay, that was them on the surface. Now, here are them underwater. So, oh
3: my god, that's easy so cool! One.
1: Easy peasy.
3: Well, that sounds like there's some sonar happening underwater. Interesting. It's I know there's a creature that has sort of a dome-shaped head that acts very much like a satellite dish for sonar. But remember,
1: a- this animal is found both on land and in the sea.
3: Oh, I figured it was just something that was like popping its head up every once in a while, like a.
1: No, nope. they are okay. found on the land and in the sea.
3: Oh no! <laughs> what would be using that? What would be barking like that on the surface? <sighs> okay, and then making those noises underwater. The only thing I can think is it's got to be like a a leopard seal or a, a walrus or something. Very
1: interesting guess. So you're super close. It is a Weddell seal. So it is a seal. It's a seal. So uh, congratulations to Aaron K., PK and Haley D., the f- three fastest guessers to answer correctly. So yes, it is a Weddell seal. And uh, it is a large gray and white splotchy seal found in icy regions near the Antarctic. They can make vocalizations both on land and in the ocean. On land, they make these wonderful grunting noises, but under the water, they can make those whistles and trills that sound like an alien spaceship. Each seal actually has its own unique song. In addition to what we can hear, they also produce ultrasonic sounds. What? For what purpose? So yeah, they lack the anatomy for precise echolocation, but research believe they use these ultrasonic sounds to be able to find breathing holes in the ice during the darkness of winter so they don't get disoriented and run out of air. So they're probably the world's cutest little weirdo spaceships. Yes, gotta find those holes. If anything we've learned from this episode is you gotta find the holes. So yeah, you, were, you did guess seal, so I think that yes. you can count that as a victory.
3: Okay, yeah. Guess leopard seal, like an idiot. Although, if you sh- I looked at a Weddell seal, and I don't actually know <laughs> the difference. I don't know the difference between a leopard seal and a Weddle.
1: <laughs> like, damn it, of course, a Weddell seal, not a leopard seal. <laughs> what a fool I've been. Uh, so are you ready for this week's Mystery Animal Sound?
3: Yes, absolutely.
1: All right. Here is the hint. In the winter, they wear white. In the summer, they wear brown. But all year round, they sound like dinguses.
3: Uh, I think that that might be some sort of ferretish creature, like a mink.
1: Hmm, interesting. Very yes. interesting.
3: Those change color, right, in the winter? Main- yeah.
1: Yeah. There are uh, there are stoats that change their colors. Uh, f- yes.
3: Yeah. A longish like the, the wiener dogs of weasels. That's what I'm thinking of.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. So that is an interesting guess. Um, but I am going to leave you hanging because I will reveal the answer next week. Uh, on next week's creature feature Soren, thank you so much for joining me
3: my pleasure thanks for having me
1: and thank you for suggesting we talk about the warble flies I love talking about some disgusting parasites
3: (laughs) me too actually I really enjoyed it feels like it was a salve to my COVID
1: Yeah, you know, it's like you do have COVID, but at least you don't have a sperm whale's uh, tapeworm uh, kind of coiled up, basically entirely making up what should be you.
3: Yeah, I don't have five of me inside me, and that feels
1: pretty good. (laughs) I thank God every day I don't have five of me inside of me. So, uh, where can the people find you?
3: You can find me on Twitter at Soren underscore LTD. Or you can find me on my podcast with Daniel O'Brien, also a Cracked alum. We do a podcast called Quick Question with Soren and Daniel. And you can just watch my episodes of American Dad. We just had our season premiere a couple weeks ago. And hey, that was a Soren buoy joint. That was an episode that I wrote. It's a Wheels and the Leg Man episode. It's kind of a noir story.
1: Oh, nice. Nice. Noir. More- American War <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: with hard-boiled eggs and <laughs> femme fatals. You know, the whole no, thing. No. No? Oh. With gum gum shoes. Shoes made out of gum.
3: Ye- oh, see, you were there. You're on track for a second.
1: Investigations into who robbed the horse farm. Anyways, uh, do check <laughs> that out. <laughs> Soren, I sure hope you feel better soon. Uh, Get well soon. Rest up. Dream sweet dreams of butcher's jelly and let that nourish your body and soul. Thank you. Yeah, but seriously, I hope you feel better soon.
3: Thank you very much. It was a pleasure, Katie.
1: Yeah, thanks for coming on. And thank you to the you. (laughs) Thank you to the you, the listener, for listening. And thanks to the Space Cossacks for their super awesome song, Exo-Lumina. Preacher features a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts like the one you just heard, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or hey, guess what? Wherever you listen to your favorite shows, I don't judge you. See you next Wednesday.
0: Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health.
1: Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not
2: cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only.
0: Exclusions apply. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh?
4: A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes!
0: Wait! Did we just invent California?
4: Discover why California is the
1: ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.